Welcome to the Digital Transformation of Business podcast, brought to you by Hughes On. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this episode of the Digital Transformation of Business. I'm your host, Mike Tippett, and this week I'm going to fly solo with, uh, with my special guest, Mike Troy. Mike Troy is the editorial director for Progressive Grocer and retail leader and a longtime industry veteran in the retail space. Welcome, Mike. Thanks, Mike. Good to be here. Good. Mike, before we jump into the, the topics and things, why don't you give our audience just a little bit of background about yourself, what you've done, how you've wound up where you are now? Uh, well, that could take a few minutes. It's kind of a long story, but I'll do the condensed version. Um, I started in the retail industry back in the early 90s on a brand called Drugstore News. Um, and I always tell this story because I, at the time, I was a journalist and I was uh, looking for a different type of job. And uh, my sister had seen an ad for a magazine called Drugstore News, and I hadn't had any real exposure to retail at the time. And I thought, how can there be a magazine just devoted to drugstores? And um, <clears throat> so I went to the interview and it turned out that there's more to it than that. And it was really about the business of retail and, and how things work in retail. And then, you know, from your own experience, probably the deeper, the more you get exposure to retail and all the different layers it, you know, it gets in you. And if you've got a curious mind, it's pretty infectious. And, you know, one thing leads to another. And here it is, you know, 28 something years later. And, you know, it's times went by pretty fast. And um, I moved on from drugstore news to a brand called Discount Store News that became retail retailing today. Uh, did a brief stint on our, um, at the time it was part of LeBar Friedman, but our chain store age brand. And then I left to come over to this other company called Ensemble IQ, which had a brand called Retail Leader. I did that, but then I added responsibility for Progressive Grocer. And then we, uh, my company Ensemble IQ, we bought LeBar Friedman. So I since have been reunited with a lot of my old colleagues so it's almost, in a sense, kind of like I never left. Well, that's great. So you, you've you seen quite a bit of change, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. I find it funny that you started out at a place, you know, drugstore magazine, and you considered the, the career choice infectious, but that's probably something we'll say for a different <laughs> different episode. Well, listen, let's let's kind of dive into it right now. One of, you know, one of the cornerstones of things that I'd like to chat with you about today is the retail customer experience. And, you know, whether retailers are adapting or in some cases, maybe not adapting to this changing landscape and, you know, set a foundation for us here. When you look at the retail environment today and compare it to, let's say, five years ago, 2015, for example, what what do you think the probably two, three biggest, biggest things that have impacted retail business since then? It's technology, obviously. I mean, the, that could be you could do tech, tech and tech could be like all three, really. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I don't think there's a, I mean, outside of that, I mean, you can always look at like macro factors related to consumer spending and what people are spending on or not spending on, you know, there's, there's always those kind of dynamics, you know, just the influence of technology that probably happened faster than people thought. I think uh, shoppers embraced anything new technology-wise, faster than retailers could react to that. So I think retailers 
have been, you know, really trying to catch up to where shoppers were take, were leading them. And uh, I think maybe they're, they're kind of caught up now. I think there's a lot of th- interesting things are happening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, you know, as I've read things and watched various articles about the industry, I have that, I have a similar perception and, and I, I might go so far as to say, I think the speed and the amount of technology, the things that you can do with the technology may have caught some retailers by surprise. I mean, everybody knows, you know, technology is yep. going to move forward, but do you, do you feel like, you know, self-checkout, buy online, pick up in store, these kind of things, do you think they came along and just kind of, just kind of caught them by surprise? Yeah, probably caught some people by surprise. I mean, but that's always the case. You always have some retailers that are like way out there ahead of others, taking bigger risks or looking at the current environment and trying to dissect pieces of it where they think there's a pain point. So I think there's been, I mean, back to your first comment about change, I think that's been a huge change where a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, with access to pretty cheap money, basically looked at the path to purchase and dissected different points along the way and said, this piece is broken. Well, how can we disrupt it with technology? And um, I think you've seen a lot of that. But the examples there are just limitless, really. Mm-hmm. Self-checkout is is interesting. Um you know, it's it's become a new normal, really, for a lot of people. I remember the early self-checkouts were very clunky. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, you'd swipe stuff. Maybe the scanner didn't work great. Or, you, or, or shoppers were not used to scanning, so that didn't work so good. And then the way you'd pay and, the you know, the user interface, you were jumping all over the place. <clears throat> and um, now some of the self-checkouts are... They're awesome. You know, I mean, it's really easy to, you know, the scanning technology's gotten to the point where you can point and you just have to be in the vicinity of the barcode and you can read it pretty good. And then the payment technology is much more intuitive, you know, and all of that sort of stuff. And then there's technology in the aisle where you can, you know, use your own phone to scan things. And then you just, when you get to the checkout or the, point where to, you make payment. It's uh, a lot of friction elimination. You know, that's been great. All in the name of trying to make the store experience good or or less bad. You know, I mean, that is a pain point retailers have been focused on for many decades was how to make that checkout piece less worse. You know, mm-hmm. you think back 20, 15, 20 years ago, a lot of efforts were focused on the mitigate line mitigation. Like mm-hmm. let's open another lane. If we have more than three people, you know, all of those type of things, that's kind of gone by the wayside now. Yeah. I think, I think you're right. And I think that uh, self-checkout specifically your, your point about technology following pain points is, is very valid, right? Self-checkout, I think came about as a way for, for retail to look at redeploying resources. Right. Rather than having another checker open because it's gone to three deep, let's get seven or eight unmanned stations, un- unstaffed stations opened up and people can self move them through them through with one staffer, maybe two yeah. staffers looking after it. So I, I think that's that's very true. And then I think we as consumers 
have gotten, you know, there, there's a whole thing about, you know, I'm standing in a store aisle with my um, smartphone, finding out information that I used to have to ask the associate for different things like that. And I think that's impacting the associate experience, the, the retail associate there that, you know, there's what, what have you seen, you know, another area that I believe technology is impacting and maybe opening up, but this idea that the brick and mortar um, is becoming a mini distribution point. So now I don't necessarily have to ship an item from a warehouse or a distribution center, a large facility located somewhere. I can ship it from the store closest to the consumer. Have you seen a lot of that in the, in the space you're, you're watching? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's, it's fascinated, fascinated me from the start as I heard retailers talk about leveraging stores as fulfillment centers, because <clears throat> I just looked at it as, yeah, I get it. It's you've got these forward deployed, pretty large boxes that could be used to pick orders. But that's not those buildings weren't meant for that purpose. And it's not efficient. And you've got customers in there trying to shop for stuff. And I'm talking specifically about food retailers. But then you have these sort of third party uh, shoppers also in there. And they're trying to do their thing as fast as they can. Or shoppers are shopping. You know, they may be looking at the 80 different choices of olive oil and trying to decide which one they want, not that they want a specific brand. So I think that has created a, a very odd dynamic in physical buildings that at some point, I think there's got to be some sort of change there because it's the, the, you know, the, whatever you call it, the financial circumstances don't add up over time. You've got to do something with the configuration of the stores. I suspect with how merchandise is presented, where you balance the two, you balance the two worlds of, presenting products in a way that make them attractive for the shoppers who come in the store, but yet the merchandise is ordered in such a way that it's efficient for picking. And then I think, and then, then maybe the store as a fulfillment center makes a lot more sense. Now, if I could, I'll just take a second. I don't know if you saw the news, I guess it was last week where, uh, you know, Kroger announced the location of three new of their, Customer fulfillment centers are developing with Ocado out of the UK. I think that's a fascinating experiment. Uh, and I call it an experiment, even though the company's clearly committed. I think they've announced like nine locations, but that takes the picking out of the store. And you could pick at one of these big centers, still ship it to the store and have it available for pickup, but you don't, you're not disrupting the flow of the store and negatively affecting in stock levels and all that that type of stuff. So I'm 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 fascinated by that. I I've got um Kroger's got a location down here not far from me in Orlando on the outskirts of Orlando. <clears throat> I drove by it recently on a trip. Actually it was last fall and uh you know to see this big giant building out in the middle of uh rolling hills north northwest of Orlando. It's uh it's going to be cool. I yeah. think there's, that's going to be really interesting to see. And then the, you know, the, the whole grocery pickup thing is really fascinating too, because 
I think, um, you know, putting aside everything that's happened as a result of the pandemic, if you just went back to say March, uh, February and mm-hmm. January mm-hmm. and looked at the trajectory of how that was trending, you know, it was trending up and then it just went hockey stick on, you know, because of the pandemic. And now the, you know, now the big debate in the industry is, well, what, what does that curve look like? Does it flatten, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. kind of even out or does it just keep going up? Because, you know, if you've used the service, you know, it can be kind of magical, you know, you just swing through the parking lot and there's your stuff. And mm-hmm. now you don't even have to, you've got contactless payment mm-hmm. and it's just, woof, you swing on through and it's kind of like a gateway drug to using grocery grocery delivery at home, mm-hmm. you know? So, well, so what, I mean, my, I, you know, I'll, I'll say it. My prediction is while it may not stay quite as steep, I don't think this thing's going to slow down. I think yeah. if, if, you know, quarantines and things ended tomorrow, I think a large part of us are <laughs> to use your metaphor. We're addicted to it. I mean, yeah. you know, look at drive through dining, right? I mean, take, you know, drive through at uh, quick service restaurants, that's 80% of their business. And it's because we love the convenience. And and you talk about grocery in specific, that that's a that's a a parent that's in the car potentially with one or more children, and they can just pull in and have the the items put in their car, not have to get out and deal with uh all of that. I think it's magical. I I I think it's gonna be fantastic. So I you think know, that's gonna keep funny going. Because if you if you go back to the nineties, I remember covering this movement at the time when chain drug stores first started putting in drive-through windows for pharmacy pickup. And the debate at the time was, well, you know, you're going to lose all that traffic coming inside the building and all the impulse sales that you pick up as folks wandered through the building to get to the pharmacy, which is always in the back. And it turned out to not be the case at all. And virtually every drugstore now has a drive drive through. So I th- I think what you if you listen to the commentary from most retailers when they talk about the effect of the grocery pickup and all that, it's it makes existing customers just more loyal and they benefit. Even though you would think people people aren't coming in the building, they end they're ending up spending more. And we definitely saw that in the last three months with like transaction sizes uh, being much, much bigger than they were previously. Yeah, no, it goes it goes to the value of, or, you know, the comparison of value between that impulse buy and the value of a loyal customer. You know, if yeah. you've provided that service, and you make it easy for me to get that prescription on a drive through or, you know, whatever the service may be. I'm going to come to you when I need the items that I do go inside for. And I think personally going and shopping online, I think I'm a bit more impulsive than I am if I'm walking the aisles. That's one, you know, that's me, my opinion. I'm sure there are people out there to say, oh, no, 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 I'm much more disciplined when I'm online. But, you know, we can, we could probably study that for some time. That is a good, I mean, I fell victim to that recently myself. Well, victim, I mean, it's, it's, you could look at it as being being that, but really it's like a service, right? Mm-hmm. So I <clears throat> I needed birdseed recently. I decided to buy it on Walmart.com because that's where we would normally go pick it up. Walmart is delivering a bag of birdseed to me this week. But in order to get it delivered for free, I had to increase my basket 
to, but, but, but then I bought other stuff I needed. So I needed also, I've got a couple dogs, so I had to feed them. So I threw in some dog food and then because they knew what I bought before, they, you know, kind of on the uh, film strip on the bottom of the page, it showed me some other stuff that I might be interested in. Oh, shampoo. Boom. So there's an interesting basket for you. Bird seed, dog food, shampoo. But I, it speaks to the beauty of e-commerce if it's done right, where they solved a problem for me. And, you know, now I've, I've avoided a trip to the store, but they still sold me stuff mm-hmm. anyway. So No, I, I think I think it speaks to their taking a bigger share of your wallet, right? You, yeah. you were going to buy dog food. You were going to buy shampoo and some things. Um, but, you know, you whether you were you personally were or not, where are you going to get those items at Walmart? You know, but now you are. Yeah, I and, might not have. Yeah, it, you know, it could have been picked up elsewhere. You know, so kind of coming around just for a minute on that that technology thing. Who do you think? Who do you think in the the senior leadership of brands sits in the hottest seat? Is it the CEO? Is it the CIO? Is there a chief marketing or brand experience? Is there somebody who sits on the hottest seat right now? in uh, in retail well i think there's a lot of hot seats so i think you could start there some are hotter than others perhaps i think digital operations is or, or the people that are involved in the user experience of what a website or s- smartphone screen looks like that's a pretty hot seat because if that's cl- clunky and doesn't work well uh, you know People have zero patience for that. So then you're on, even if it's your preferred retailer, you're just going to get frustrated and go, you know, and go elsewhere. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a hot seat. I think another hot seat is the marketing folks because, you know, they've got a challenge with, you know, engaging with shoppers in new ways digitally. There's, um, you know, the retailer as a media platform is a big trend where, you know, because big retailers, you know, pick Kroger, Walmart, Target, Albertsons, excuse me, all of those type of folks, as they've gotten gained traffic on their websites, those are a lot of eyeballs. It's think of it like a TV network. There's a lot of people there looking, searching, just like the Amazon model where they make, I don't know how many billions of dollars off of ad revenue, mm-hmm. part of their whole flywheel where people list and then they make money selling, you know, fulfilled by Amazon, but then you've got to market to the people that are on the website and all that. So marketing is a hot seat. And then supply chain, I guess would be another Mm. hot seat because now you're, you know, you used to ship pallets and cases and now you're shipping eaches out of stores and trying to replenish stores. But not knowing what the the demand for goods is um, because they're being functioning as fulfillment centers. So marketing operations, supply chain. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. All of the seats that were hot before are hotter. They're just hotter. hotter now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, that's boy. I, I tell you, it's a, it certainly is a, it's a fun space to watch. It's a fun space to, to, uh, to interact with it for two reasons. One, because it's changing a lot, but because, we can experience her from both sides. We can sit yeah. and talk to these leaders and these, these uh, women and men who are driving this, but then we can go around and experience the customer side of it very, very simply. 
very simply. Yeah, it's an awesome time to be a customer. Yeah. No, it, it truly is. It truly is. Do-it-yourself stores, you know, they seem to be extraordinarily busy right now. Um, now, we can say, well, you know, pandemic, quarantine, people are trying to do some DIY stuff. But they, they really seem to have, have just, you know, been able to do it. Do you think they had any advantage or, you know, any, do you think they happen to have been better prepared for this or, you know, what, what do you think about that? I think they were at the intersection of a couple of interesting trends and one in particular, and I'll just reference YouTube. YouTube has made it easier than ever for a person to be a DIYer because there is seems to be a video on YouTube of literally anything you could fix, repair, build, you name it. There's somebody, there's a Mike Tippett's out there on, you know, how to, how to build a raised bed garden in your backyard. And not all the videos are high quality and, but some are real professional and there's people making a living at it. And then there's other people just, I don't know, for whatever reason, feel compelled to make a video of performing the most meaningful, meaning, meaning, menial tasks I replaced my in-cabin air filter on my vehicle recently because they wanted a hundred dollars at the dealership. Mm-hmm. I, I just on a lark, I, you know, entered it in YouTube and sure enough, there's a, there's a, somebody made a video. So I think a lot of the DIY, you know, it's hard to quantify like what percentage, but it's clearly been an enabler of people having more confidence mm-hmm. in being able to do take on stuff that they might otherwise might have otherwise picked up the phone and you know called somebody to come do. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. That, no, that's I ex- one. And then, I experienced something very similar. Uh, the the water filter on my refrigerator for the in, you know the indoor water and ice and everything. I you know I was very very concerned about, you know, if I do it wrong, I'm going to have a mess everywhere. Went on to YouTube and there was uh, an individual that said, look, just twist, pull and, you know, push back in. And there it was. And sure enough, it it certainly saved me, you know, at least 40 or $50 in service call. uh, And I just, you know, got the part from a local, from a local. But again, to the, to the point we're talking about earlier, about like drive, you know, drive through pharmacies, right? Well, that might've eroded traffic inside a store. I think this YouTube stuff has actually helped some of the small contractors too, because you can look and realize it's like, oh, I don't want to take that on. You know, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's elaborate. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to, I'm not going to attempt that. Mm-hmm. And then you do make the call. So yeah. yeah, no, that that's very, very true. That's very true. Well, all right. So I want to, I want to kind of take that uh, forward looking uh, viewpoint with you for just a minute. You know, after after 9-11, back in 2001, the landscape for public travel changed. Uh, and today, here we are almost 20 years later, we're very accepting, if not comfortable, with the fact that we're going to be body scanned, we're going to be searched. There's very, very strict limits on what we can put in carry-on luggage. And, and, and some of those, I don't know if you want to get into, you know, personal freedoms or whatever, but things have changed significantly. As we look at look forward from here based on, you know, what you're seeing today in relation to, you know, health concerns and protecting ourselves as well as the modernization or the, the technology advancements. 
what do you think three or four years from now we'll, we'll accept and we'll be doing in retail and just kind of go, yeah, I, I barely remember not doing this. Huh. That's a good one. Certainly the travel, travel industry initially post 9-11, that all felt extremely invasive. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to take everything out of your pockets mm-hmm. and take your shoes off. And, and then you even kind of wondered, well, what is this even doing any good? You mm-hmm. know, and then you came to accept it. And then it actually led to a whole new security infrastructure with the the TSA pre-check, mm-hmm. where if you were willing to, you know, answer some questions and do an interview and mm-hmm. reveal a little bit more about yourself, you could gain the freedom to semi-breeze through <laughs> security. Mm-hmm. Now, if you think about the pandemic fallout, do we get some sort of new new thing? And I'm just talking about airports and screening because you'll want to know that people getting that you're sitting in that metal tube with and sucking in the same air for however many hours is, you know, that the risk is, is less. Mm -hmm. So I don't have a good answer for that one. I think, um, I think it plays out in the, in the months and maybe year ahead. If uh, we get some clarity on effective treatment Mm -hmm. and a vaccine. Mm -hmm. If I told you right now, I just discovered a vaccine parties on and we go back to normal, Mm -hmm. you know, I think, um, and then people aren't, aren't, aren't afraid, you Mm -hmm. know, but but right now there's so much uncertainty. I can tell you when I go in my local supermarket and I see there's somebody there and they're missed, you know, spraying down the handle on the shopping cart, you know, it's like, huh, okay. A sense of relief. You know, I know Mm -hmm. that it's somewhat clean and, you know, that kind of stuff, but I think there's a uh, you know other other potential fallouts from this that uh, related to like the type of stuff people were will be willing to buy mm-hmm. you know in a store like prepared foods that's openly merchandised mm-hmm. where everybody's touching the same handle. Mm-hmm. I think there's there's a few things have to have to happen before we get back to normal on some of that stuff. Yeah, I I agree, and I think. You know, your your example about that extra security infrastructure or that extra bit where, you know, you have the clear lane or you have the TSA pre-check and so forth. I think you may you may see a little bit of that and it'll be interesting to see what it is in the retail world that they're gonna ask from me in exchange for somehow, you know, short circuiting something that I'm I'm willing to bypass, right? You know, we've already seen um, you know, with loyalty and different things the retail industry will give us discounts and price breaks if we're willing to share data about ourselves, purchase habits and things like that. And I, I've seen a significant rise lately in, you know, these apps where you scan, re, you scan receipts from any business that you shop in and you get points that points can be turned into dollars and in different, you know, algorithms and things. But, uh, you know, it's obvious that that data is very important to them. It's it'll be very very interesting to watch to watch how this this all unfolds. So I, with my car insurance company, I have one of those things that they plug into the onboard diagnostic port, mm-hmm. and um, <clears throat> I felt like that was a fair exchange. I, mm-hmm. They monitor how fast I go, the time of day I drive, uh, if I have any hard braking incidents, all that sort of stuff. And in exchange for surrendering that information, I get a most often a pretty good discount. Um, that seems fair. I've 
I've wondered, and I don't think this sounded kind of futuristic when I thought of it a few years back, but I don't think it's that futuristic. I always, I've always believed that there would be people willing to implant a device in themselves in exchange for a preferential, and I'm kind of getting off on a, <laughs> on a new area here, but why wouldn't someone implant a device that would let their health insurer monitor their blood, blood glucose levels or physical activity, you know, all of those indicators that would speak to perhaps a healthier lifestyle. And in the case of the insurance company, a lower risk mm -hmm. potential mm -hmm. that, I mean, I could see that. I could see that happening. Yeah. Well, I think, I think the biggest step forward of towards implanting was, you know, it's the smartphone. I mean, yeah. that device for most of us is all but implanted. It's certainly connected to us, uh, yeah. you know, at, at all times. Well, the last, you know, the last area, you know, getting a little future, getting a little bit futuristic and everything. The last area I kind of wanted to touch on with you, Mike, is the idea of automated delivery. I don't know if it was two, three, four years ago, you know, we had the whole thing about here come the drones, you know, there's going to be all these drones dropping packages and so forth. And I, I have to be honest, I laughed it off. I thought it was fun commercials and so on and so forth. But now seeing the advances in automated cars and driverless cars and things that are moving along at such a good pace. When you look forward and you think about, you know, retail, maybe grocery in specific, what do you think about uh, the idea of automated delivery? I think that if you can, the technology exists and the business case for it exists. So why wouldn't you have a, why wouldn't I have a vehicle that, I mean, I, I work from home. I can see the Amazon Prime truck looping through my neighborhood constantly. There's a person driving it. Why? What would be the difference if it just was cruising through on its own? And when it got close to my house, I got some sort of alert. So I would know to, to go out and retrieve my stuff. Mm -hmm. Or maybe there's a, there's a robot that comes out and brings mm -hmm. it up to my door. I mean, all of this stuff, you can imagine it. Mm -hmm. It's all about, you know, getting, getting things to people. It's all a supply retail is all about supply chain. It's all about getting stuff from one point to another point. We've just kind of, the points have gotten weird because the point used to be physical building, but now we're, you know, it's the whole last mile thing. So now it's about, well, how do we get it to, you know, is it to the curb or is it to the person's house or is it to a locker somewhere? Or is it to a train station or, you know, wherever? So the supply chain piece, or is it to somebody's trunk? You know, there's all kinds of, I was talking earlier, you know, about these, the, the pain points on the path to purchase, you know, the idea of if you work in a building, having merchandise, you know, delivered to your trunk is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. You know, saves you a trip on the way home. Mm -hmm. I just, there's just so much stuff happening and it's all driven by technology and the autonomous piece is um, certainly a lot of activity going on there. Mm -hmm. Well, that's, you know, you opened my eyes just right there in your comment, you know, as I, as I was thinking about automated delivery, it's always about getting it right to the, you know, to the doorstep, but your comment, you know, the, the Amazon prime truck or the FedEx truck or name your brand of delivery service pulls up you get a notification and you walk out and, you know, there's some automated, you know, 
locker on the side of the vehicle opens up. You take your material, you put your thumbprint to acknowledge you've received it or something, and away you go. That I I can see that coming along a lot, you know, very very reasonably soon. So yep. I think that's I think fantastic. Are, I think, I'm I'm a believer in drones. I, I, at first, I when I I saw that Amazon was doing something with drones, I was like, ah, come on, you know. And then I've been at a few shows. I've seen some of the drones in action. I've seen what UPS is doing, Walgreens, CVS. They've all got mm-hmm. pilot programs. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the some of the stuff's pretty cool. You know, if you could have order lunch, have a drone bring you a sandwich. Yeah. I mean, hey, why not? Right? Yeah. Yeah. Suspends it from a tether in your front yard, and you go out and pick it up. That's right. No, I think it'd be fantastic, and I, I think, uh, I think it's well within you know the horizon of our of our experience and of of our working life. Well, Mike, I really appreciate you being on the show with us. Let me let me ask you, you know, if an audience uh, if an audience member wanted to share an idea or you know give you something to chew on, how's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Uh, email's always good, right? mtroy at ensembleiq.com. Okay. Well, we'll put your email address and, and the, the web URL and everything in the, in the podcast notes. We appreciate that because I'm sure there'll be some folks out there who either want to take issue with our ideas and thoughts or maybe even contribute to that. And it's always fun to hear those thoughts. So again, oh, yeah. thank you very much. I appreciate you being on the episode with me and have yourself a fantastic day. All right. All right. Thanks, Mike. To the audience members, we appreciate you listening in. And again, if you enjoyed what you heard, give us a rating, put a note out there for us, and we look forward to hearing from you on the, or seeing you on the next podcast.